0: Swinging a line drive left field, Benintendi coming on dives, and did he make the catch? He did. It. He got it. There we go. it's Time to party right here. Three two. High and away! He crushed it. It's a grand slam. Swing and a miss, Frankly, it's over. The Red Sox have won the World
1: Championship. Welcome to Benny and the Bets podcast.
0: Can you believe it?
1: Here's your host, Terry Cushman.
0: For baseball fans across Red Sox Nation, MLB fans from around the league, and the Yankees fans who can't get enough of hating us, welcome to another episode of the Benny and the Bets podcast covering the Boston Red Sox. We are available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and literally every single platform imaginable. According to PodTrack.com, we are downloaded in over 30 countries each week across the planet. The Red Sox just wrapped up a four-game set with the New York Yankees, again losing all four games. The Red Sox are now 6-17 and 17 at the bottom of the AL East. News out of Fenway, left-hand reliever Josh Taylor has been activated from Pawtucket and did pitch a 1-2-3 inning in uh, Monday night's game. Top prospect Tristan Casas is expected to be added to the 60-player pool. News from around the league, Padres closer Kirby Yates will undergo season-ending surgery to remove bone chips from his elbow. Blue Jay slugger Bo Bichette has been placed on the 10 day IL with a knee sprain. No timetable has been set for his possible return. And Aroldis Chapman returned to the Yankees tonight, giving up just one run in the ninth inning, but recording the save. Once again, I am Terry Cushman, coming to you from Lewiston, Maine, and joining us tonight from Westwood, Massachusetts, is Jason Kelly. Jason, how are you? I'm doing good.
1: Um, Red Sox still have more wins than the Pittsburgh Pirates, so for everyone who's (laughs) in despair right now, don't worry. You're still not the worst team in the league. All is fine.
0: Yes. Next year will be better statistically it has to be but uh yeah. also joining us tonight from providence rhode island charlie smith charlie how are you
2: i'm doing great can't complain you know i uh i, I sat through another one of those and i was just praying for a rainout after five innings uh but like jason said we have more wins than the pirates do so could be worse
0: it's interesting because we have High and Bloom, who, you know, has helped mastermind these brilliant farm systems in Tampa. And then you got Ben Sherrington, the other bottom feeder in the National League, and he was the driving force behind the Red Sox farm system, which produced guys like, you know, Xander Bogarts, Mookie Betts. He drafted uh, Andrew Benintendi just several weeks before he got fired so so two guys that love to build farm systems and Sherrington also built the toronto system that brought in guys like biggio uh bichette vladdy jr all them so uh yeah so both teams are going to be pretty interesting here uh you know in the coming years but uh, just jumping right into it, and just so everyone uh, listening knows, we'll get through our Studs and Duds segment as always. Then we'll have some trade talk, and I have a couple of bonus topics um, if if we have time. So um, getting right into it, Studs and Duds, again, formerly known as Heroes and Zeros. Charlie, I've... Uh, Put you in the leadoff spot tonight. Who is your stud for the series? Uh,
2: My stud was Alex Verdugo. Uh, Verdugo was um, he did great work in all four games. You know, unfortunately, had an an error in the first two, but also hit a home run in the first two games. So you can't fault him for that. Uh, He hit 400 for the series, so he went six for 15 overall. Couple of homers, couple singles, double, stole a base. Um so he kind of did everything he possibly could both offensively and defensively also had an outfield assist as well. Um so that's I mean to me he 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 felt like the easy pick right there, you know? He did the most damage.
0: Jason
1: Yeah, it's funny because I don't think Yankee fans would be very envious of many players on this Red Sox team in terms of, you know, wanting them to wear the pinstripes but I wonder if they watched Alex Verdugo and sort of went, oof, man, he'd look good playing, you know, left or right field here because he's got a good left handed swing for Yankee Stadium and and just a good swing overall. And what I liked was that he knew he was in Yankee Stadium, so he pulled the ball a little bit more this weekend and he was drilling it. Um, Whereas when he plays in Fenway, he tends to spray the ball all around the field. He tries to target the monster a few times. Um, yeah Verdugo continues to impress at the plate I wish he would clean up things a little bit defensively in the outfield um, but I think that will come with maturity and, and with more playing time but at the plate there's not much you can really complain about with this guy again a 23 year old who is getting the chance to play every day and you know he's kind of moving up and down the lineup and he's producing it's it's really fun to watch and He's been a real good bright spot, and for people who are still upset about the Mookie Betts trade, you've got to be feeling at least a little bit better knowing that this guy looks like the real deal. He looks like he can really turn into a very good, everyday major leaguer.
0: You know, I've said in either the, the last show or the one before, I think Alex Verdugo is going to be a big game player, and we have not seen that from Mookie Betts. Now, Mookie is going to be the first ballot Hall of Famer, no doubt. You know, especially with what he's doing this season. I think I heard O'Brien say with just over a hundred strikes that were thrown to him, he made contact on all but one of them so far. <laughs> so Mookie's off the charts. But getting back to Verdugo, though. He could be a big game guy. Mookie never really reached that level in Boston. Two out of his three RBIs came in the final game of the 2018 World Series, in which we were already leading anyway. So just a complete no-show in Boston in the playoffs for Mookie Betts. And then you've got Verdugo hitting a home run off of Garrett Cole in the opening game of the series and it's nice to see he's not intimidated nobody's going to rattle him up there maybe like an ace lefty maybe but against right-handed pitching especially i just think verdugo is going to he he's going to be that guy that embodies the city of boston you know unlike mookie who was just more reserved quieter flashy but you know you didn't see Mookie thumping his chest uh, you know, about playing here. I think we're going to see that with Verdugo. And like what I'm seeing. Um, Jason, go ahead. Who's your stud? So I went with Kevin Pillar and his numbers over the four
1: games were not stellar. He actually went uh, just 3 for 15, which is, you know, he hit 200 over the weekend, but you know, he hit the home run off of Hap on, on Sunday. Um, the defense still looks good out there. And again, he's a he's a veteran guy who, when he signed here, we all thought, okay, he's going to platoon with Bradley. And he's not going to get much playing time. And, you know, he's just going to be sort of an extra piece. Now, it looks like he's getting a more prominent role. And I think he's smart enough to know that it's a shortened season, the trade deadline's coming up, and this team's not going anywhere. It's pretty clear that, you know, Kai and Bloom and everyone on the, around the Red Sox has pretty much admitted so, that nothing's happening this year. So he realizes that. He's a smart veteran guy, and he's playing his butt off because he knows that he's got a chance to be traded to a contender, and he's got to perform well enough to be, you know, a viable trade candidate. So in that way, it's like, What more can you ask from a guy like Pilar, who again, like he was, he signed here. He was not given a starting job because the Red Sox still have this gross obsession with Jackie Bradley Jr. But in the playing time that he's got, he's played well and he's played hard and he's produced and look, he's not always going to be stellar. Like I said, this weekend he was pretty average, but then again, the whole team was, um, But you're going to get something for him. He's a good veteran player that a lot of teams will have their eye on. And if that's his sole purpose for the 2020 Red Sox is to serve as just a guy who is here for a cup of coffee and, you know, gets you a a decent prospect or decent someone in return. That's good enough for me. And, And I just I love I've always loved Kevin Pillar. I wish the Red Sox got him five years ago as opposed to now. But. You know what? It's been fun to watch him play. He's a hard-working veteran. I think he cares, which I don't think you can say for a lot of guys on this team this year. So good on him. And, um, you know, again, I don't expect him to be in a Red Sox uniform beyond this month. But, you know, he, he did his job here. He absolutely did.
0: Charlie.
2: Uh, was, you know, I mean, it's tough because in this situation, uh, there was really only
0: outside of Verdugo,
2: it was hard to find another solid hitter that was consistent, but Pilar has been that guy that is, that has been able to do his job. And like Jason said, originally the expectation was not that he was going to be an everyday player. He was going to be someone that would be a a platoon guy, a good vet for some of the young kids. Um, but you saw what he was able to do. He was able to get a hit in almost every single game. Uh, it was just that last one tonight, 0 for 4, couple strikeouts. Uh, it's it's kind of hard when you go when you go up in the ninth inning and you face a as Chapman. That's you know it's 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 beast or famine because uh, it, it's really hard to, to hit 101, 102. Um, but he still got on base five times, couple singles, homer, um, couple of walks. So I, I can't complain.
0: Like Jason said, I love the fact that he's a gamer. You know, I almost feel bad that the Red Sox even signed him (laughs) because (laughs) he's the guy who's, you know, trying the hardest. Not that some of them aren't, but, but you know, really grinding, really wants to win, and it's just not working out, you know, all around him, And, and pitching's obviously been a glaring issue for us. But I just, yeah, I like him, and I think he would have been a lot more fun to have in a, in a competitive season. I think he he's probably going to get traded, but we don't have a ton of outfield depth, and if we're not going to bring back Jackie Bradley next year, and I, I'd be shocked if we did, I think Polar could could come back in the winter if if he's willing to. I mean, maybe he maybe won't want to after the way things went. But you know if they can pitch it to him, like, listen, we're we're gonna have a better rotation, bullpen should be stout. Come back, we're we're gonna win a lot of games, and you're gonna be a big part of it. I'd love to see him in back in Boston next year if. You know, if it could work out. Because it's not going to cost a lot to to sign him to a one-year deal. He's probably going to be a career, you know, one-year deal guy anyway. I mean, I think he's in his early 30s as it is. But I like him a lot. So, uh, my stud for the series, I didn't think I was going to go this route, but... Uh, I may as well. I went with Ryan Weber, who was pretty stout in one appearance where he went three innings, gave up two hits, no earned runs, didn't walk anybody, only struck out one, but still got the job done. And, uh, you know, that was after Mazza, you know, got tattooed, uh, you know, by four earned runs. So... This is an interesting role for Weber because he wasn't thriving as a starter. He looked good in middle relief here, and this middle relief appearance is coming off of a six-inning middle relief appearance with the um, Tampa Bay Rays in which he went six innings, only gave up one run. So in both long relief appearances is what I should really be calling it, He's only given up one run in nine innings. So this is kind of something that I hope they tinker with, with an eye towards next year. And, you know, because maybe we have something. Maybe we do have a guy who every third game can give you, you know, two or three innings. And we'll see. (laughs) Everybody likes Weber. Everybody wants to see him succeed. And it's not going to be as a starter. So, you know, maybe this is the role for him is what I'm getting at. Yeah, it could definitely
2: be interesting. Um, he's had, you know, mixed results. Um, it's uh, it, it's tough when you see a guy like him have to, to struggle the first couple couple times out. He, he went out three innings uh, the first three starts he had and was not able to get the job done. And like you mentioned, he comes in relief. Against Tampa Bay, one run on five hits, six innings, great job. And then it comes out, does three innings of work against the Yankees, another divisional opponent, allows two hits. So allowing one run on seven hits and nine innings, five strikeouts, a 1.0 ERA in the last two games played. I'll take that. His ERA dropped almost in half.
1: If, uh, If the Red Sox continue to insist on doing this opener bullpen game stuff, Ryan Weber should be your bulk guy. He shouldn't be the guy who starts the game. He should be the guy that comes in in the second or third inning and pitches those middle innings. Um, I think it's just a better role for him. I can't really explain why. Um, Pete Abraham actually had a pretty good tweet uh, over the weekend where he he put out the stats that Ryan Weber has a 3.8 ERA in 71 career innings as a reliever, and his – ERA in 61 innings as a starter is 6.06. So that's a three-run difference between just starting the game and coming in as a reliever. Now, granted, that's a little bit skewed because sometimes you come in as a reliever, you only pitch one inning. Sometimes you come in and you pitch three, like he did on Sunday. But I think Weber is a guy that you bring him in after, you know, again, if they still want to do this opener stuff, which I'm totally against, but if they want to do it, Weber is a good bulk guy. Bring him in, have him pitch two, three innings, and then get him the hell out of there. Um, He still has some value in that regard. I think this year, given how just anemic the pitching staff is, I think that's his role. And yeah, you know, he was great on Sunday. He kept you in that game. You lost, you know, what, what was it, four to two was the final score. So, you know, it could have been eight to two if they brought in any of these other bums out of the bullpen. So, yeah, he was really good. And I would be curious to see how he does if they sort of put him into that role going forward as just the guy who comes in after the opener. I wonder if his his numbers would vastly improve
0: if they did that. You know, it it remains to be seen. And I I think... I think what might help Weber is the fact that maybe he is going out there for one inning, and if he's feeling it, you know, maybe the second inning happens. And if he's still feeling it, maybe the third inning happens. I just feel like he's better off in in a role that's more situational than a defined role. Like, okay, we're starting you, and we're hoping to get three or four innings. I think that's bad for him. I just think the the long-relief mindset might be the way to go, and I, I think he can thrive off of that.
1: Yeah, in, in a weird way, you almost have to treat Weber as a knuckleballer because he throws so softly anyways. That And just like knuckleballers, like you said, Terry, he either has it or he doesn't. And we've seen it both in the Wakefield era and in the Stephen Wright era. It's like sometimes they had it, and they could go – you know multiple innings and shut guys down and then other times it was one inning and they were getting hammered and that was it I think you almost have to treat him like that
0: yeah sinker ballers tend to be just as finicky I feel like you know we saw it with Porcello uh Sonny Gray has kind of you know turned it up but just certain pitches that you know you really have to be on like you said and and he's at least been on in his last couple of appearances. Uh, Some honorable mentions here. I could have went with, with JD Martinez uh, as, as a stud. He was four for 15 had um, a decent game two with two RBIs, but um, you know, had hits in three out of the four games. So not, not a terrible series for him. You'd like to see him Ramping up his power, though, to you know increase his, um, you know, his trade value. But so be it. Uh, so, Terry, the the reason
2: actually, oddly enough, um, Martinez was actually on my list of honorable mentions for for dud uh, because <laughs> while he while he actually did have that really good second game, he struck out seven times out of fifteen at bats. So it was a lot of that boomer bust business. He he had a couple okay. singles, a couple of uh, runs batted in. Um, both both guys came around um, on the first single that he had in the second game. Uh, the the second hit, nothing really happened. Game three, n- nothing really special, and game four, again the same thing. But again, like the reason why I would say dud as opposed to stud is because of what the expectation is. You know, like we're we're just not seeing the the the. Uh, the investment come back and and pay itself out.
0: I honestly didn't look at the strikeout numbers, and that's roughly striking out half the time. So yeah, that's that's not good. Um, no other real, you know, obvious honorable mentions. I guess Bradley went three for seven, so that wasn't terrible. Um, Austin Bryce had a had one really good relief appearance where he was asked to get four outs and he did didn't give up a single run struck out three but then he comes in tonight and served up a dinger i think that was to luke that was
2: luke voigt his second bomb
0: yeah yeah late in the game so uh, it's hard to hold that against him but he's kind of like hot and cold i so it's hard to make up my mind as to you know where his potential is but he, he's a guy that i love to watch regardless come out so uh there's only been one
2: there's only uh one reliever i think that also didn't get any love and that's Phil valdez oh. he's been lights out like super good he's had one mistake game that's it
0: yeah i did mean to uh, and i completely forgot to write it down he, his era right now is 0.68 <laughs> so,
2: phenomenal so he
0: he has absolutely been good yeah Yep, yeah, so another guy, they don't put him in high leverage typically, so, um, you know, I'd like to see a little bit more of that. But but we're, you know, we're we're usually getting buried early, so, you know, those opportunities are few and far between. Oh, and I, I guess I should also mention Josh Taylor come back tonight and had a 1-2-3 inning, uh, you know, like he never left from last year, so... That was nice to see. But uh, getting over into the duds, who do you have, Charlie? Uh, I got Christian Vasquez.
2: Uh, Vaz didn't really do it for me. Um, and, you know, what's funny is I, I like to kind of compare and contrast, like, some players and, and what they were able to do from the beginning of the year to the second half of the year. And when, when Vaz came up in July, the guy was, was hitting everything. He, he went 8 for 23, hit 348, had four homers, eight RBIs. Since then, he's been lethargic to be hitting the baseball. I mean, his batting average has fallen in half. He's 8 for his last 47 prior to tonight's action, where he was uh, able to get a couple of hits. So um, after everything's said and done, 10 for 50, so he's still hitting 200. Only has four RBIs. So on this series in particular, four for 15, did hit 267, uh, did get a single RBI in game four, which is that little bloop kind of. I, I can't blame Glyber Torres for it. Like people were saying, oh, we should have had that catch. I don't think so. I think it was a, a very oddly hit ball, and it just happened to work its way for Vasquez. But a couple singles, a double. The only good thing was he only struck out in three out of the 15 at-bats. So. 20% of the at-bats, I'll take that. That's a lot better than, than J.D. Martinez. So he's my uh, he's my dud.
0: Jason.
1: So Vasquez is interesting because um, I loved him at the start of the season. And I thought, okay, yeah, this is exactly what you expected. Vasquez had a good offensive season last year. And he's picking up right where he left off. Um, now he's starting to cool off a bit at the bat, which I don't mind. Because, again, your catcher shouldn't be... The center point of your offense. I, I've always believed that, and um, if Vasquez hits like 250 with even a little bit of pop or whatever, that's fine. I was looking at his defensive numbers the other day, and it's he's kind of an anomaly because he's allowed 11 stolen bases this year, which is towards the bottom of the American League. I think the only guy, the only catcher who's allowed more is Max Stassi. With the Angels, who is god awful defensively. So that makes sense. But it's weird because he also leads the league in, he's thrown out six runners, which that's the most in the American League. And he still leads the American League in defensive war. So his defense is kind of weird because obviously runners are, they're running more on Vasquez and the Red Sox. And I think that has some to do with him, some to do with the fact that these relief. And, and a lot of these Red Sox pitchers take forever to get to the plate guys like Austin Bryce Matt Barnes is apocalyptically slow they're really slow to the plate um, but Vasquez defensively has just been kind of average and this is a guy who was always hyped for his defense and it's like I was watching Gary Sanchez over this weekend and I think Gary Sanchez blows I think he's so overrated it's not even funny but he's got a rock hit for an arm, you can't run on Gary Sanchez. I think these days you can run on Christian Vasquez. So, you know, if, if his offense is going to start to slip and he's not going to hit the way he did last year and he can't throw guys out at the same clip, I don't know. His value takes a huge hit that way. So, yeah, this weekend was was not great for him. It's been trending downwards for a while. Um, I know he's got a team-friendly deal and I know that people in this town you know tend to love him but he's another guy that you kind of look and you go okay if we get a good offer you kind of have to listen because it's again it's just not trending the right way
0: i have never been a vazquez guy i like sandy leone i'm a big i I harp on this every episode but i'm big on guys that work well with pitching staffs and and are good game callers. And I'm not convinced that Vasquez is that guy. And it concerns me more when we could have guys like Tanner Houck coming up and Brian Mata and, you know, hopefully, you know, within a couple of years, Jay Groom. And it borderline horrifies me to know that Vasquez is going to be handling these guys and, could be could have a lot to say about if they're successful or if they're not so if his value is high offensively and you find the right dance partner who who is in love with that and and, and values the offense cuz there aren't many great offensive catchers out there i would move him in a heartbeat and, and just ride it out with Ploiecki, and uh, you can call up Luke Roy. I think he's going to be put back on the 40-man, but um, that's what I would do, and I, I would just move on from Vasquez, and hopefully within a year or two, you're going to have Connor Wong up here, who's every bit the power hitter that Vasquez is. So, I would, I would love to see him get moved. uh jason go ahead
1: um so my dud for the series was Raphael devers and it's a little bit unfair because he actually performed better than my stud uh he went four for 15 this weekend as opposed to pilar's three for 15 but Raphael devers is supposed to be a centerpiece of your offense and he looks nothing like that right now in fact he centerpiece of your team and he's not getting it done on either end defensively he's on pace for a horrible season even in a truncated season um and offensively he's not there i mean and he just looks like he's not launching the ball anymore if he runs into a a, you know a good pitch from a bad pitcher or something sure he can launch it but Apart from that it's like it's a lot of ground balls, he's grounding into a lot of double plays. He looks shaky at best at third base. Every throw I'm like I'm holding my breath again, which I thought we were past that with Devers, but apparently we're not. Um it's really concerning. It, this was a guy who had questions about him when they started back up, you know, they had to move him to an alternate training site, you know, there were reports that he came in out of shape. Um I think he's also he was a big Cora guy and he was a big fan of Alex Cora as a manager. And now that he's gone, it's like you wonder where his focus is because he just doesn't look the same at the plate. He's not quite as lost as like an Andrew Benintendi is because he'll still he still has the talent that even if he's performing badly, he'll still be able to muscle a base hit out, you know, into the outfield every now and then. But he's not driving the ball. He's not launching the ball anymore. And it's a huge concern. Like, I just don't know what's happened to this guy. I just don't know if it's, like, a motivation issue, if he just doesn't care, or if he's taken a step backwards. But he's got to get it going, because with J.D. struggling, it's, you know, it's basically like Xander Bogarts and Kevin Pilar trying to carry this team. And, and they need Devers to prove that. He is a guy they can build around because he starts to go backwards. Boy, this is going to start to look real grim going forward.
0: Who are some guys that did regress? Like I'm just trying to think uh, who a, a comp could be. Um, you know, Middlebrooks was way too short. You know, Devers is you know been relevant way longer than Middlebrooks was, but. I just – the thing I, I feel with him is this is like the whole pandemic is probably not ideal, you know. He probably can't be guided the way that he needs to. The, the team just isn't firing on all cylinders, so maybe he's not getting enough focus because they're too concerned about other areas of the team. He was, you know – him and Cora were really close. It was kind of a big brother, little brother situation, maybe even a father-son situation. But, you know, he, he played really well for Cora and made leaps and bounds offensively and defensively over the course of 2019. And, and played pretty well. I mean, he struggled all of... Of 2018, but seemed to get it together in the month of September and and kind of, you know, played a role in in, in the month of October. And uh, so, I mean, we've seen them do it and. I'm concerned as well, but if we have a normal year next year, I just. I'm not too pessimistic that they won't figure it out and who do we have that can play third because Casas is primarily a first baseman, isn't he?
1: He is. Yeah. I think Dahlbeck play third. He could. Yeah, he can. Yeah. Yeah. That's probably about it. It's probably just Dahlbeck.
0: I don't know if Chavis could, could do it, you know, over the course of a spring training. I I think he, he did see a little bit of time there in the minors, but uh, none, you know, since, being in boston so but th- that might be something they have to look at maybe maybe he plays first if jd opts out and i'm 90 percent sure he will uh, if he's not even traded before then um and then maybe he's your dh like there's nothing wrong with having a career dh <laughs> we were fine with david ortiz and I see a lot of David Ortiz in Devers because Devers has been clutch in the past. He won't quite reach the, you know, the mythic level that Ortiz did in the postseason, but I think he's could potentially be the next best thing. Even, you know, even at DH, so many teams like to use that as a, Kind of like a partial day off for people. You know, get him out of the outfield and just up at the plate four times and some clubs like to use the roving DH but seeing what I saw with Ortiz, I am fine if, if Devers within the next two to three years becomes a career DH. And that might make him more affordable as well.
2: That's That's truly like the the one thing though. Like if he if he doesn't end up becoming a DH full time, like what what do you do with him? Uh, Because Jason brought up some really really good points because he did respond well with Alex Cora, and it's been a complete 180 for not only him but so many other players on the team. They just don't they 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 just don't they aren't they aren't seeming to click as as well as we know that they can. I don't want to say that last year was a fluke year for all of these guys. That's just not possible. So there's just something that's just not clicking, and I don't know if it's mental, if it's physical. Um, but whatever it is, we, we just we got to get back on the right page because this is just not. This doesn't feel like Boston Red Sox baseball.
0: I feel like the protocols are are messing with some of these guys, and I, I think Devers is is one of those guys that's having a hard time with it. But that's just my theory. It could be it could be a number of things as to why he's not doing well. Do you do you want to weigh in one more time on Devers, Jason?
1: Um, no, I, I think you guys make good points. So if his future is as a DH. Especially because I agree with you. I I think JD is either getting traded or he's opting out. So maybe that is where he ends up. um, And maybe that kind of brings him more and just allows him to focus on just his hitting. And maybe that's what he needs. Um, He just, I don't know, he's got to pick it up. Because, again, I know you accelerated him. And he wasn't supposed to be up in the majors this soon. But he had a great year last year. That was not a fluke. So there's something there. They just have to tap back into it and they got to figure out how to do that.
0: Absolutely. My dud for this series is Brandon Workman. Hasn't looked good his last two or three times out. Uh, Only appeared once in this series. Uh, Gave up three hits, two earned runs walked one, didn't record a strikeout and didn't couldn't even get out of the inning. They had to bring in Marcus Walden to to finish it. And that's especially frustrating here because he's one of our biggest trade chips and his value is going to drop if you know, if he doesn't start showing better command and and having those one, two, three innings that we saw him have last year. So it's a little discouraging, and I hope he either figures it out or they trade him fast, and then he's another team's problem. But, you know, and if you want to talk flukes, I think last year might have been a fluke for for Workman because to me he's a very serviceable seventh inning guy on just about any club. And for him to do what he did in the ninth inning last year, I think he, he played kind of above his head there. And, and we're just not seeing it this year. So I just, I, you know, I, we'll, we're going to talk trades here in the next segment. But, um, but I, I just, I hope the team acquiring him knows exactly what to do with him. You know, so that you know he'll be able to help them, you know, in in the best possible way. Like Joe Kelly was never going to be the closer in Los Angeles or anywhere. He's a he's a situational guy that's used usually in the seventh or eighth. And I think Workman is about the same, just very situational. So, uh, Jason, what, what are your thoughts on Workman?
1: Yeah, he's an interesting case, um, and he's you know, is he? He's above thirty, right? He's thirty or thirty-one years old now.
2: 30, 32 now. Thirty-two.
1: Wow. So this is they a guy. That,
2: his yeah. birthday was a couple days ago. His birthday was uh, the first game of the series.
1: Oh well, happy that's, birthday to him. That's when uh, he I, I think it was
2: the first.
0: <laughs> he pitched that
2: uh, game. Oh, he pitched the day after his birthday then, because uh, the first day of the series was the four. Was it the fourteenth? when was it hold on i got to look back 1415 yeah, yeah yeah so he his birthday was the day before okay okay so yeah he's
1: 32 years old now he's bounced between being a starter to a reliever to being injured and he kind of just struck gold last year and had his best career year uh kind of just being the de facto closer um but it's, it's not looking good, and like you said, Terry, this is a guy that should have been one of our better trade chips because, again, because of his age and because of the fact that the Red Sox really don't need to invest in him long-term, if he had come out this year and looked really good in the closer role again, you know, we've seen it in the past. Uh, teams pay through the nose for closers, which is kind of unbelievable to me that teams still do that. But they will. You know, if you have a really good closer that is you know short money and can really help a playoff team they will give you a lot for him and workman's kind of going backwards now and i sort of wonder if the league has figured out that hey this guy's curveball is not that good sure it's got it's a 12-6 and it's got a massive break to it but it's never going to land in the strike zone if you just leave it alone it's going to go in the dirt so just don't chase it he's got a decent fastball but he never throws it um So this is concerning because now all of a sudden that's another trade chip that is losing value by the game. So Workman's either got to figure it out or they need to figure out a new role for him because it's not looking good so far.
2: So I'm actually going to take the high road on this one. I'm actually going to say that I think because of what we saw last year, I don't think it's fair to judge him on one bad performance. It's against the Yankees. He didn't. He's not given up a home run yet this year. Yeah, it was a bad start. Uh, sorry, uh, bad performance. Um, but before that, he'd pitched five innings. He'd given up, uh, I think, five hits. He'd only given up one run. Like in the Mets series, he went three innings, allowed one run, struck out four guys, a couple walks. That was it. And then the, the following two appearances, two innings. He struck out the side in one of those games. I really just want to call this an outlier. Um, he's, he's still got immense value, and I think there's going to be several teams out there that when they come a-knocking, Brandon Workman's name will be called, and Brandon Workman will be playing for a different team by the end of 2020. I'm not going to discount what he's been able to do the last year. Plus, I think it was just one bad performance. That's it. Same with Evaldi. You know, Evaldi pitching New York. Just one bad performance.
0: Uh, well, the, the schedule is kind – well, it's not too bad. We got a two-game set against the Phillies. Then we got Baltimore, Toronto. Those second and third teams aren't too scary, you know, for a guy like Workman. And then then you got the Nationals, and that takes you through the 30th. And, and we got the first game of the Braves on the uh, 31st. So I think – you know, it is an easier schedule, like you were kind of uh, implying, Charlie. We're we're not going to face the Yankees again anytime soon. I think we only have them uh, one more time at Fenway. So, um, hopefully, we can get some softies in here and let him just kind of relax against some lineups that he shouldn't have too much trouble with. But, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, this was... You know, this was really – he's had one other not-so-great game, which was his second appearance. He gave up an earned run in that one with two walks. That was against the Mets. So, um, yeah, I mean, we'll we'll see. He makes me nervous. He didn't look great against the the Rays um, either. Yeah. that was on. Uh, that was his last appearance against the Rays. So, um, yeah. So we'll, we'll see. We're going to get into him here in a minute. Actually, you know what? We're basically in that segment. Hey, I got one question though before we do talk some trades here. Um, I keep hearing this. They, there's talk uh, amongst the the local beat writers that. Maybe Darwins and Hernandez will be converted into a starter. And that kind of horrifies me. Like, I think he settled into that role last year, into the late innings in the bullpen. He had, like, an insane 14 strikeouts per nine, you know, which is like Kimbrell in his prime, you know, type strikeouts. And, you know, he's a two-pitch guy, and I'm just... I don't want him to be the next Daniel Bard. You know, I, I think they ought to just leave him in the, you know, in the, in the eighth inning. Maybe he might be the ninth inning guy going forward. Who knows? I mean, he's got the potential to be, but what would you guys like to see with him?
2: Don't, don't mess with it. Don't break it. Keep it going as is. Let him be the reliever. Uh, You don't want to, you don't want to break it. I mean, if it ends up being Daniel Bard all over again, that's going to be a more disastrous kind of oh crap! Now we have to pick up the pieces from this one um, because this is someone that he he just throws fire like there's there's literally like smoke after every baseball he throws. It would be devastatingly terrible if something bad were to happen to him or he were to get the yips and just lose it and and almost not be able to be what we've been able to see so far.
1: Yeah, I agree. Don't mess with it. Um, Don't, don't give him the Daniel Barr treatment. Uh, This guy wasn't even a good starter in the minor leagues. The only year that he pitched well as a starter in the minor leagues was 2018. And that was in high a, so that counts for nothing. Essentially. Um, Last year, he made 12 starts between double A and triple A and his ERA was over five. So I don't think he's a starter. He looked good as a reliever. He still has some polishing to do, but he's 23 years old. So you got plenty of time to do that. I would much rather them groom him as a reliever. And I just, I hate this mentality of the Red Sox know that their starting pitching depth is really not that good. So now they're going to start taking young guys who started a little bit and they're going to go, okay, we'll just turn them into starters. That's not how you regrow. That's not how you grow your farm system. It's not how you do it. It's because they're going to screw this kid up. They're going to screw him up, and he's never going to be the same. It happened with Daniel Bard. It's happened with plenty of pitchers in the past. I don't want them messing with him. Just leave him as a reliever. Let him excel in that role. And who knows? Maybe he becomes your next closer. Maybe if he really figures something out as a reliever. You know, Maybe now you've got your own left-handed closer to come in in the ninth inning uh, to replace Workman or or whatever. So I agree. Don't mess with him. He's never been that good of a starter to begin with. There's no need to do it.
0: Yeah, and if you do ruin him, you're going to have to go out and get a borderline stud reliever anyway. Not only do you lose him, but you're going to have to replace him. And I, I just think you're... It's just really dangerous so um, anyway so we're gonna get into a segment now where we're gonna discuss five basically the five most likely Red sox trade candidates last episode we put a percentage on the likelihood of them being traded this episode we're actually gonna we're gonna list off some landing spots and we each have two landing spots for each of these guys so, I'm guessing we might have you know some duplicates in here, but but uh, I just think it'll be a fun little segment, and we'll we'll see who ends up where and who nails it. You know, it, over the course of the next couple of weeks. Charlie, do you wanna do you wanna just quarterback this segment?
2: Yeah, for sure. So um, we had a couple landing spots for you know just for this exercise for fun. I think some of it's going to be a reality. There may be not, not every player will get moved. But the first player on our list, uh, we have Jackie Bradley Jr. So, Jason, I'm going to actually hand this off to you and see what you think for two potential trade teams that might go for Jackie Bradley.
1: So when, when I looked at Jackie Bradley, immediately when I, when I assess his trade value, I look at him as, okay, he's a fourth outfielder. He's an extra guy. I don't think any team is going to trade for him and plug him in as an everyday player. Maybe as a platoon guy, but that's about it. I look at him as a fourth outfielder, and there's two teams, I think, that make sense. One is the Colorado Rockies. The Rockies have a big gap in center field. They need you know an extra outfielder out there, especially since Coors is a big ballpark. So that would suit a guy like Bradley because he can cover a lot of ground out there. Um, my only issue with the Rockies is that they already have a lot of left-handed hitters in that lineup with Daniel Murphy, with David Dahl, um, guys like that. So I don't know if they'll want to add another left-handed bat to the lineup. A big part of this is because Ian Desmond opt out. He was supposed to be a big right-handed bat for them who was going to see some time in the outfield, and obviously he's not there. So, they might go for Bradley just because of his defense and as an extra guy. The other team I looked at was the Oakland Athletics, who are 16 and six. They're leading the AL West right now. Um, and they could always use an extra outfielder. And again, Oakland is a huge ballpark. So, you want a guy like Jackie Bradley patrolling the outfield out there. Now, they've got Ramon Laureano. Laureano, sorry who's a really good center fielder. So it's not like they would need extra defense necessarily, but they could put Bradley in right or left field, or they could platoon those two or or do something like that. Again, with a ballpark like Oakland, as big as it is, it doesn't hurt to have a guy who can cover a lot of ground and patrol center field out there. So those are the two teams that I think they've got the room for them. They're contending and... Again, he's just going to be a fourth guy. He's not going to be an everyday player, and and I think that those are two teams that would at least take a flyer on him and see how it works out.
2: Yeah, I think you you bring up some really good points, and I'm really happy that you mentioned uh, Desmond opt-out because that was going to be one thing that I was going to mention as that was one of your teams. Uh, Great, great input. Uh, Kush, who do you have?
0: I had a hard time. This was probably the hardest uh, candidate where i you know i just couldn't find necessarily uh, obvious fits i uh one team that i think could potentially value him is the uh philadelphia phillies um you know they're a, a little bit banged up you know in the, in their outfield and i just think you know he he slots in really good as as a fourth outfielder you know having uh, potentially McCutcheon on one side of it and and you know Bradley probably in center Bar- Harper's mostly playing right isn't he I, I yes would, yeah I would guess yeah so I just think that would be a decent alignment uh for the Phillies and another one that I kind of took a look at uh was the Chicago Cubs they don't really have a great outfield. I mean, the, the Hayward contract is has been an albatross, although he is a good uh, defensive outfielder. Um, he could be a late-inning guy to come in for Kyle Schwarber, who I don't think is, is strong defensively. And there's a little bit of familiarity there because Epstein was in Boston when Bradley was drafted. So... Uh, those are just two potential fits that that I could see him going to. Charlie, did we lose him? Uh, he's. It's either on mute or or we lost him. <laughs> oh. Uh, not uh, yeah, he's showing on mute right now. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, now he's unmuted. Charlie, what's going on? <laughs> Having a technical. He keeps muting and unmuting. You know what? Let's uh, let's just try to bring him back up. Sorry for the listening audience. Uh, I I knew Charlie's was going to be somewhat intense. Hello. He's back. Okay. Here we go. All right.
2: So I I don't know what happened. It it, it actually froze. I couldn't hear anybody. Okay. Um, so if you guys could hear me I, I couldn't hear you guys so I apologize about that guys yeah um, no, so for the, the the two teams that um, I ended up having on this list were a little bit different uh the first team I actually out on the list was the Orioles now the Orioles are in a unique spot um you know both of the teams that I picked were not going to be teams that were gonna have to um, worry about salary issues with luxury tax or anything like that. The Orioles i found to be an interesting option just because when the Orioles visit the Red Sox, they're not going to have to worry about finding someone that can man the very unique situation of Fenway park. Um, on top of the fact that you're adding another defensive glove to Anthony Santander, who's absolutely destroying it. Austin Hayes is not the answer right now. Uh, it's his third year. He has not shown us what he can do. Um, as far as like offense and defense, you're not gonna get a better glove than Jackie Bradley. So to me I, I figured this couldn't hurt uh, for depth, this would be a good a good option for them and not to mention come playoff time, JBJ hits a lot of clutch hits and this could be good for the Orioles. they haven't really had any stroke of luck and maybe this is just the player that they they need. The return is gonna be little, maybe medium. you might get like a pick out of it. Um, but it doesn't affect the Orioles because this would offer them uh, a fourth outfield, their spot, similar to what uh, Jason was saying, um, and it couldn't hurt. The other team that I had on the list was actually the Milwaukee Brewers. And the reason why I was thinking Milwaukee on this is because Avasail Garcia is not getting it done. Um, and then as far as like offense is going, it's kind of a wash. I think he's had one home run. But defensively, you have the better glove with Um, JBJ. They're only three games out of first place and it wouldn't be um, a crazy thing to see um, him go to Milwaukee. Uh, Defensive runs is going to be a statistic that's going to be measured when you look at somebody like JBJ. Um, I don't think it's just going to be adding him though. I think they're also going to add an arm to their rotation as well. But they're also way below the luxury tax threshold Jackie Bradley's a free agent at the end of the year. So they're not going to have to give a major call to get him. I mean, I don't think. Those, those are the two teams that I had.
0: Yeah. We uh, we just gave what six different teams. So that's uh Which is really cool. There's a wide market really cool. for him, you know, if, if if a team wants a defensive upgrade for sure.
2: Yeah, so so that was the first guy that we had on the list. The second one that we had on the list was actually Kevin Pillar. Uh, Kevin Pillar is, um, was scheduled to make 4.5 million this year, uh, after his adjusted salary, he's only making a little over 1.5 million. So, uh, Jason, if you want to hit it off.
1: Sure. Uh, Pillar, I looked at sort of similar to Bradley, but a little different because I think Pillar is not a guy who is just a fourth outfielder, just an extra piece. He's a guy who can actually play every day, I think. Um, So the one team I had in common between those two was the Rockies again, because like I mentioned before with Bradley, the Rockies have a very left-handed heavy lineup. So they could use another right-handed bat, especially going up against guys like Kershaw and the other strong left-handers in the NL West. Um, They could use a guy like Pilar to really help them there. You know, I know Pilar had a good year with the Giants last year when he played in the NL West there. Um, so I like the Rockies for him again, you know, still shows that he's got the range and the defense to play a big center field. And I think his bat fits really well in that lineup. The other team for Pilar, you mentioned it just now is the Milwaukee Brewers. Uh, Lorenzo Cain opted out. So he's gone. They've been kind of shuffling some pieces in that outfield. Uh, they moved Garcia to center field and uh, VCL Garcia should be playing a corner outfield, not center field. He doesn't have the range to play out there. He's too big and bulky of a guy. Um, I know Brian Braun is seeing some time in the outfield, which they never want because Braun's defense is pretty much gone these days. So I think Pilar would be a good fit there. They can move Garcia back to left, put Braun back at the DH spot since they have that now, keep Yellich in right. And again, Milwaukee has a lot of left-handed hitters: Yelich, Justin Smoke, Eric Sogard, Omar Narvaez. So Kevin Pillar would be a nice balance out there. So I think Milwaukee would be a really good fit for him too.
2: Really nice. That's solid. I like that. Um, I like that we had a lot of the same teams for both of these outfielders. I think that says that we're all on the same page about teams that could really use them. Um, that's pretty sweet. Good, good input, uh, Terry. Who do you have?
0: Uh my first choice for them would be the Cleveland Indians. They notoriously have just never really had a good outfield in the Francona era. And I mean, you you look at their primary starters right now, Domingo Santana, Delano DeShields Jr., Tyler Naquin. I think I think Pollard could potentially be a, a even an offensive upgrade over all these guys and I think I think Francona would would love to have a, a player like Polar in his outfield. I can't remember if A-Rod, Arod made a bunch of dumbass remarks, but I think he was comparing Polar a little bit to Johnny Damon in a way. You know they can impact a game similarly. And I just feel like, you know, maybe maybe the Indians would be a good landing spot for him, and he's not gonna command a huge haul. And so he, he's probably, you know, attainable for them. Uh, my second team is the Atlanta Braves. They kind of missed out on, on uh, Yasiel Puig because he tested positive for, for COVID-19 so early. Nick Markakis did come back, but you've got Acuna out with a wrist injury right now. He's on the, the 10-day DL. And I just, you know, Pilar would be a good insurance policy for that team. Ozuna, Acuna, and Marquecas are definitely three outfielders that could more than hold their own, you know, in, in big games. But I think, you know, I think having Polar uh, there would be good. You know, Ender Enciarte, I, I think, isn't quite as great of a, um, you know, isn't. Is good offensively anyway. He's a good defender. Uh, Adam Duvall, has, you know, has been a strikeout machine most of his career. You know, with with Cincinnati before landing in Atlanta. So I don't know. I I just see that team as a as a potential fit.
2: Yeah, it could it could be interesting there too. Um, and and that's the beauty of it. Is this is such a unique year? There there are teams that people probably didn't think were going to be relevant that are actually doing really well. So. Uh, for Kevin Pilar, the first team that I had in the list was actually the Philadelphia Phillies. Um, in this situation, similar to what Jason said, like, this is someone who has now proven that he does not need to just be a platoon player. He could take everyday work. And Pilar to Philly makes sense to me um, in center field because their current center fielder, uh, Adam, I think it's Hazley, uh, not really doing that much. Um, and it can't hurt. This is already someone that's had some experience in the National League playing with the Giants for a little bit. Uh, he's also familiar with the Eastern um division just because of his time in Toronto. He knows he knows the Phillies pretty well. And prior to tonight's action, Pilar had a five game hitting streak and wasn't showing really any signs of slowing down. So why not give him give him that chance? This is someone who is is making little money, is a free agent at the end of the year. You're not gonna have to get a huge haul for him back. You you this is gonna be another team that's also well below the threshold, so they don't have to worry about that. Um, and you know, there's only really one team that they have to worry about um, in the AL East, and I, I think that's the Braves. I, I don't think the Mets are going to be able to come back, and I, I think that if they can get that done, it, it's going to happen. The, the Marlins also are not going to be a team that stands a chance right now. They're only as high as they are because of their winning percentage, but that'll, that'll drop. Um, so that's, that's one team. The other team I had was the um, St. Louis Cardinals, and uh, it, it's funny that we keep mentioning a lot of the same teams. But similar to um, you know what I was talking about with the Phillies, uh, they haven't seen any production out of their outfield or outfielding core outside of Dexter Fowler. The center field and right field spots have just seen nothing. Harrison is in his second year, um, really after his like primary year, 2018, we saw what he could do. 2019, he actually regressed a little bit. Didn't hit as well, but still got the same number of homers. And then Dylan Carlson's their other outfielder. We don't know enough about him. He's still kind of raw. We're still trying to Learn more about them, um, but this is an opportunity for Pilar to go into St. Louis and potentially be that veteran guy in the outfield or in the outfield that they don't have, um, you know, alongside Dexter Fowler because Dexter Fowler is a good outfielder. But that could potentially give them a little bit of boost in talent, which is what they're going to need until either Carlson or Bader actually get kind of where they're supposed to be. In addition to that, it's going to offer a little bit of pop in the in the uh lineup and then also potentially offer a little bit of protection for paul goldschmidt and tyler O'Neill. uh O'Neal, i believe leads the team with three home runs because st louis was one of the teams that got tagged with covid19 early on um and we already know what uh goldie can do so um to me it, it seems like a potential fit just the national league just head right back to where he uh found some success uh, third guy we had in the list was actually someone we've already talked about. So Brandon Workman is one of the names that we've mentioned before. Uh, Jason, who do you have for Brandon Workman?
1: So I know I've mentioned uh, this team a lot, but they're contending, and they definitely need uh, more in that bullpen. That's the Colorado Rockies. And I worry a little bit about the fit there because Colorado, I mean, playing at Coors Field, I've said it before, it's like playing on the moon. I mean, you, you make a wrong pitch there, you're you're getting taken 600 feet. So I don't know if Workman is the best fit in terms of the style that he pitches with to pitch in Colorado, but they need relievers. I mean, they've got Daniel Bard, who's – that's a great story. We're all happy to see Daniel Bard pitching well out there. But, you know, at the end of the day, if, if they want to contend with the Dodgers, they're going to need someone better than Daniel Bard out there. Um, so Workman could be a good fit there, you know, and, and maybe – you know, maybe he figures it out. Maybe that, that curveball is actually exactly what you need at Coors Field. You need guys to, to chase it and hit it into the dirt rather than hit it into the into the air. Um, the other team I like for him is the Philadelphia Phillies because they could use some bullpen help. They've got Hector Neris closing games right now. He has not worked out great for them. Um, he's got an ERA over seven at the moment, and that's a team that still wants to contend. They're only two and a half out. Um, I think Atlanta is shaky so I think Philadelphia if they put it all together can really make a run at them and that's a big ballpark over there in Philly so that could work out for Workman too a bigger ballpark with you know a good defense behind him Uh, Girardi's the manager there so maybe Girardi is able to knock some more sense into him that then Reneke can so I like the Rockies and the Phillies for a guy like Workman.
2: That should be interesting if he ends up going out because uh, I've, I've been a Citizen's One, and it's uh, it's a nice stadium, uh, and you mentioned some great points. You know, it, it can be really nice for for pitchers. Um, Coors Field, unless you're used to it, can make or break you. Very few pitchers have been able to do very good work at Coors. I mean, you see pitchers that have won Cy Young Awards go to Coors Field and then blow up. They just can't do it. So it could be an interesting fit, that's for sure. Uh, Kush, who do you
0: have? I have, uh, well, I the obvious team that's like desperate for um, some bullpen help is the Houston Astros. That's kind of a, you know, a goofy dance partner because we've spent the last few years competing with them, but I don't think we're too worried about sending a rental over there. Who's going to end up being a free agent anyway? So, I could see the Astros being motivated to to bolster their bullpen. Their starting pitching has actually started to turn around, but I've watched at least a few games where they lost leads in the eighth and ninth innings, and they they just can't hold them. and And so, I would. I would consider them to be a, a, a very highly likely landing spot. Uh, the second team I have is the Chicago White Sox, who are kind of treading a wa- uh, water around 500. They've got pitching issues all around, not quite as bad as we do. But uh, Aaron Bummer is on the DL. I don't know the nature of his injury, but. Um, I I just think that that's a team that's still trying to compete and the Indians have their own issues going on with all their COVID drama, you know, over the past week. And, and I think second place in the, in the central could be up for grabs. And then there's going to be two other spots, you know, essentially wild cards that could, um, you know, be viable for a team like the White Sox. So um, so th- those are the two teams I, uh, you know, I kind of pinpointed, but it is kind of a broad market for a guy like him. I mean, everybody could, could use a reliever and, uh, you know, that th- those are who I went with.
2: Yeah, no, some, some good, some good potential options there too. I, I, I kind of cringed a little bit when you said Houston, because <laughs> I was like, Oh God, please not them again. Just not them. If he, um, if he but, had multiple
0: uh, it, years left, they, there's no way that they would ever consider Houston because we, we could be competing against them next year.
2: Oh, 100%. Absolutely agree. Yeah. Um, it, it would never it would never happen. And, uh, you know, Workman kind of started pitching in Boston right after Francona, which is what my segue is going to be. Uh, the Indians are actually one of my two teams for, for Workman. This is um, – You know, A a team that's a game out of first place, Um, having another experienced bullpen arm wouldn't hurt them, Uh, but the Indians right now currently are without two starters, and Brandon Workman has experience as a starter and a long reliever, which could be interesting. Um, He's not going to challenge Brad Hand for the closer role, but if something were to happen to Brad Hand, insert Brandon Workman because he already has the experience and he could get it done. Um, and that's only that's only if you need to, because Cam Hill's already in that uh, in that bullpen and he's doing a great job relieving uh, to help preserving that lead. I would imagine a prospect would have to come over like a decent, like a mid-level one to get that done, um, because he's again this year, three point five million was his salary. He's making one point, almost one point three million this year on the adjusted salary. Uh, the other team I had on this is another team in the AL East, uh, the Tampa Bay Rays so uh brandon workman heading over to tampa bay could potentially make sense as this is already um a team that he's got some experience with he doesn't have the best experience at tropicana uh but facing against some of the teams in the al east he already has experience with them he already knows what they can do it could come in handy um you know charlie morton right now is on the il uh you have Glasnow and snell Um, You have a couple other, I think Yarborough's there uh, as well. And I forget the name of their fifth starter. Um, It's eluding my mind right now. Um, But it's an opportunity for him to potentially get a a closer role again. Because right now the Rays have had multiple closers and they don't have a definitive guy who's dead set block for the ninth inning. And that could potentially be um, the missing piece that the Rays need, you know. So those are the two teams that I was thinking – could be a good fit for brandon workman uh which is going to be our segue into nate evaldi nate evaldi uh his salary for this year is 17 million uh adjusted to 6.29 million he will be making another 17 million each of the next two seasons so incoming teams will have to think about that uh jason who do you have working with the red sox to get evaldi
1: so the first team that sprung to mind for me was the Atlanta Braves. Uh, their pitching staff took a real hit this year with Smolka going down, with Cole Hamels going down, and they've got such a good offense and they really have a shot especially with, you know, the the NL East I think kind of being up for grabs. You know, they they've got a shot to to win that thing and and they're in the lead right now. They're 14 and 10. So they're on top of the division now. Um, but they need help in that rotation because they've been calling up guys from their minor league system who are getting crushed. And they're just not ready. And they need a veteran starter to come in and kind of stabilize things there. So they could go for Nathan Navaldi. Now the money could be an issue. Um, I don't know if they're going to want to take on that kind of salary. Uh, even though it is only a couple more years. But that's a big number. So Atlanta is going to have to really think about is Nathan Evaldi a difference maker? If we bring him in, is that going to secure us a division and give us a deep playoff run? But just because of the the amount of holes they have in that rotation and they've got such a good team around it, it would make sense there. Um, The other team I had for him was the Cleveland Indians, who also, their rotation has also taken a hit with them having to send guys home for not behaving themselves. You know, Clevenger and and Plezak getting sent home. So, you know, and that's a team that can still contend. Again, they've got the talent around them. I think Terry Francona would love to have a guy like Nathan Avaldi in his pitching staff, uh, who's a professional who can go out there and and do his job. So I think Cleveland would be a good landing spot for him because if they get another established starter in there to go along with that offense, um, they could, you know, they could surprise people and they could be a huge contender. So those are the two teams I had.
2: Solid options for sure. Uh, Kush, where, are you, where do you see Evaldi
0: going? I think potentially the Milwaukee Brewers. That, that was a popular team for some of uh, the earlier candidates that we talked about uh, offensively. But that's a team that could always use another starting pitcher. You know, it seems like they're kind of patchworking things together, but one of their strengths is they have a very good pitching program and they seem to be able to turn guys around we saw what they did with Wade Miley and you know who then went to Houston and you know continued to pitch well under their program which is also you know one of the best in the league but I just I just think the, the Brewers are, are a good landing spot they don't have a great farm system but it, you know Avaldi's not the type of guy that's gonna Command a huge haul. I mean, he did just give up eight runs to the Yankees, so I don't know that. um, You know, uh, even though their farm system isn't great, I I still think they uh, would be a very good dance partner. And you know, they're they're in a division that's you know it's up in the air. The Cubs right now are looking like you know they're going to probably win it, but. The Brewers, unless they played tonight, they were 10-10 and 10 coming into the day, and um, Cincinnati's not far behind them. Not sure what's going to happen with the Cardinals because they've got a lot of games to make up, but it sounds like there is a plan for several doubleheaders. There's, there's a lot of optimism that they'll get to at least 58 games uh, based on what I heard today. So I, I just think the Brewers... You know or a team that you know could could use another arm and and maybe they see Evaldi as, as the type of guy that you know they can tweak a couple of things and and make him that you know solid number three starter that you know he's kind of struggled to be um, another team I kind of had a hard time with the second team I did I did look at Atlanta like Jason said they they definitely have a need for a starter but um, I think Oakland, would be a good landing spot for him. They've got a decent farm anyway, and it's a good park for him. You know, it's not a, um, you know, it's not a a hitter friendly park. And I think where he's kind of a pitch to contact type guy, I think he could, he could fit into their rotation, uh, pretty well. Uh, so anyway, those are, those are the two teams. I, I, uh, pinpointed
2: yeah no that's that's really good and what i really like is that uh baldy was the first of the four people so far that we've talked about uh where we actually have one team that we all agree on and that's the braves uh braves were uh one of the two teams that i thought would be a perfect suitable spot for him because outside of max Fried there is no two options soroka went down with the uh, achilles tendon issue and that was like I think it was two weeks ago, and he's done. As of August 3rd, he's done for the season. Uh, Cole Hamels, done for the season. And I believe uh, Felix Hernandez was also uh, a brave, and he opted out too, if I'm not mistaken. Um, So Ivaldi would immediately replace uh, a rather strong arm in their rotation, giving them a little bit of added depth. And this is going to be important for them to secure one of those top spots, if not the top spot in the um, NL East. Um, I think that that's going to be their move. The other team that I have on this list, it hurts to say it, and I think everybody knows where I'm going to go, uh, that's the Yankees. Uh, this is a team that he's already had experience with. Um, you already know what you're getting with Jarrett Cole. Uh, you, or Garrett Cole, you get a 4-0 record, 2.76 ERA, Cy caliber pitcher, and then you have Masahiro Tanaka, who still doesn't have a win yet, but he has a 2.31 ERA there isn't a good three option in New York. You really need to have three good pitchers in order to really do well in the playoffs because Paxton can't be trusted. Montgomery isn't consistent enough. He's had one good start. And J.A. LOL, bro. We already know what he is. And only the red, like a decent starting pitcher. It was the first time he was able to get into the sixth inning in 2020. Like, joke. So you insert. Givaldi into the three slot, Paxton Montgomery into the four five slot. Don't look as ugly as they do in the three, four slot. And then you can put J.A. Happ in a long relief role or mop-up role if you need to. Um, New York's, you know, they don't care about money. Um, I'm sure they want to not spend as much. So maybe the the Red Sox would have to eat some of that money up. Maybe they do something similar to the David Price contract. But because they're eating up some of that money— um, or perhaps a majority of it, maybe that means that a couple more prospects will come through the uh, through the pipeline, which would be good um, for the Red Sox and potentially you know, for the Yankees because they're getting a third starter. Maybe this is what puts them over the edge and wins them their first title in over 10 years. So, Ivaldi, um, there's going to be a lot of suitors, I think, for Ivaldi. There's going to be a couple surprises, I'm sure. Uh, the last one is... Is the gem of the Red Sox. So we have a one JD Martinez, who's making twenty-three point seven five million this year, prorated down to eight point eight million. Um he is signed through twenty twenty two with a couple of options, making an additional thirty-eight point seven five million dollars as a DH potential rate fielder. Uh, Jason, why don't you kick it off with our last guy?
1: Sure. Uh first team I had for JD Martinez was the Oakland Athletics. And I know that would be a little bit of a different move for them. They don't typically go for big money guys, but they're on top of the AL West right now and they're DH'd the last few days. I just looked at it just for the hell of it. Um they had Chris Davis DHing one day and by the way, he's hitting 149. So looks like his uh his bat is starting to decline pretty quickly. And then they had something called Vismayel Machin, who served as DH. I don't know who that is. He's hitting 100 on the season. Um, This is a team that could use some offense. They could absolutely use some offense. They could use another big bat in that lineup. I mean, imagine a combination of, you know, Chapman, Matt Olson, and J.D. Martinez. That would be a pretty good middle of the order for a team that is looking to dismantle the Houston Astros and the AL West. Um, So I think that that would be a good spot for him. The other team I had was the Chicago Cubs,
0: who, <laughs> like,
1: yeah, like the Oakland Athletics, they've been struggling to try and figure out who's going to be their DH. Um, they've tried Victor Caratini a few times. They've been moving Chris Bryant over there just to give him a day off, but they really don't have a guy that, you know, they can slot in as a as a full-time DH. And... You know, they've made moves like that before. They did it last year when they went out and got Castellanos, and he helped them out a lot. And, you know, they're on top of their Division too right now. They could definitely use some more offense. Again, that combination, you put Martinez in there with, like, Bryant and Rizzo and Javi Baez, that's a nasty lineup. And, you know, and and he could even play the outfield too, especially at Wrigley because it's such a small field. That wouldn't really be a challenge for him. So I think the Athletics and the Cubs would be good landing spots
2: for him. Great, great input, great input. Uh, Kush, what do you got?
0: I have uh, – well, I'll, I guess I'll start out with the Philadelphia Phillies. Um, you know, they, they've got a system that could, you know, they, they could deal prospects from for, for a guy like J.D., They have Jay Bruce as their as their DH, and normally he would be a pretty good option, but he's on the DL right now with a quad issue, which tends to be pretty lengthy. You know, at least four to six weeks for a lot of guys, and sometimes even longer than that. And I just think he's he could be the you know the last piece to their offense. You know, to go, go with guys like Harper and uh King Ree and uh their first baseman whose name I'm forgetting um but yeah I just I think the uh, I think you're
2: ta- you're thinking of Reese Hoskins? Yes,
0: Hoskins, absolutely. Um and that's a good park for him, you know, it's a you know, it's a home run hitters park and I think uh, I think Joe Girardi would love to have a guy like uh Martinez in his lineup. So the Phillies was uh, definitely a team that stood out. Another team that stands out to me is the St. Louis Cardinals. They're pretty anemic right now offensively. Um, they lost Marcelo Zuna over the winter to free agency, didn't replace him. and I think you know they could just kind of slot him in at DH and him and, and Goldschmidt, you know hitting back to back you know, in the order, I think would look very attractive and, you know, be be a critical piece that, that they could use going forward, you know, as they're trying to claw their way back from missing so many games. But Cardinals and the Phillies for me, for Martinez. So
2: we've uh, – I think the Cardinals could be an interesting one. Uh, Phillies, oh, my God, man, that would be – disastrous for everybody in the NL East, if that ends up happening. Um, so I actually have the Indians as one of my teams for uh, J.D. Martinez, and the way I look at it is uh, the Indians could get an extra power bat if they were to get Martinez. They'd be able to slot him where basically Tyler Naquin just doesn't fit. Naquin's hitting a buck 58 with no homers and three RBIs. J.D. Martinez did that with his most recent Grand Slam alone. So like Power is going to be a a huge bonus. But you add that to a lineup that already has Jose Ramirez, Francisco Lindor, and Frenmil Reyes, you're getting another ridiculous power bat. Um, Martinez and Reyes, I imagine, would probably flex in and out between DH and right field because both of them play both positions. And I think that would be an opportunity to kind of get them a little bit of uh, exercise doing both. Um, But what I really, really like is that You've now added even more protection for Lindor, for Reyes, and for Jose Ramirez, which is going to be great. This is a team that isn't going to just get an extra bat. They're going to need to get an extra pitcher as well because, as uh, Jason mentioned, for uh, some naughty behavior um, between uh, Mike Clevenger and uh, uh, act. Uh, they they they're going to need another starting pitcher, which is where potentially Evaldi. I believe I I don't remember which one of you said Evaldi could be in, in Cleveland, but that would be a good little fit. Martinez wants to play for a contender. The Red Sox are not a contender right now. Um, the other one is uh, the Rockies, and I can all I all I can picture is Nolan Arenado having a buddy to just have home run derby games with, and that would be a perfect fit for JD Martinez, who again would be playing. Uh, for a contender, um, in you know, a- as a designated hitter, because you're not going to have him play in the outfield. Um, potentially, right now, you have Charlie Blackman there. Um, I-, I just, I-, I, can't imagine him not having a good time hitting in Colorado, where where balls fly out almost as easily there as they do at Yankee Stadium. Um, it's going to offer protection for Blackman and Nolan Arenado um and it's going to be a a better dh option over matt kemp which i mean at first he was doing great but he's cooled off significantly whereas now jd martinez is starting to kind of pick it up which is good um but most importantly he gets to go to a contender which is what he's made apparently clear he wants to play for a team that's going to win so uh there you have it kush i'm gonna hand that back to you
0: all right, we'll just spend uh, a couple minutes uh, going over the Philly series here. It's only a two game set, so um, you don't have to spend too much time on it. We got Zach Eflin versus Zach Godley tomorrow night, so a good chance a pitcher named Zach will get a win. There you go. Yeah, so. Uh, Eflin on paper, I have admittedly not watched many Phillies games this year, but, um, you know, pitching to a solid 360 um, ERA. Godley has just been hit or miss. He's been good in some appearances, terrible in others. I think he hasn't been great in his last two, and um, probably only going to get a few innings out of him, so. I think I don't see why tomorrow is gonna is gonna be the game that snaps our losing streak.
2: I uh, you know so Eflin's um, he, he's a he's a funny one because when he first came to the uh, league, they were high on him a couple years ago. He really didn't have his first stroke of luck until 2018, um, where he's now starting to strike out a guy an in inning, which is good. But he's only had a couple starts. His most recent one was against Baltimore. Gave up four runs in six innings. He did strike out 10 batters, though. So that's going to be something to to be mindful of because the Red Sox do strike out a lot. Zach Godley, you don't know what you're going to get. You may get four innings of relief, seven strikeouts, Zach Godley, or you could get eight runs allowed in three innings, Zach Godley. So I, I scarily, I want to be optimistic about both of these games. I really do because... You know, Jake Arrieta is going to be a hard, hard nut to crack. Um, I I don't think that he's going to lose game two. So really, our only chance to salvage this series and split it is if we win game one. And I'm I'm nervous to say I think we can do it. I sadly think that the Red Sox are going to lose 10 in a row. <laughs> I,
1: I, yeah, I think they've got a good shot tomorrow because Godley should be pretty familiar with that Phillies lineup, uh, given the time he spent with Arizona, uh, not, you know, not too, uh, or at least recently. So he should be pretty familiar with a lot of the hitters in that lineup. Hopefully that helps him. Hopefully he, he has a better approach against that lineup than he's had against some of the other lineups he's faced. Um, yeah, Eflin's got good stuff and he doesn't always have it all together, but the stuff is good. And I worry about the Red Sox offense, the way it's been trending lately. That I feel like they're going to run into a guy like Eflin, who does have that kind of stuff. And they're just going to, you know, see JD Martinez flailing away up there, you know, the way he was against Garrett Cole. So we'll see. Uh, Godley might surprise you, because again, he he should be familiar with that lineup. So uh, we'll see.
0: We faced Jay Happ the other day, who can't pitch against anybody else but us, and we found a way to not be offensive. So hopefully, um, you know, hopefully the bats show up tomorrow and, you know, do their jobs. Um, second uh, matchup here, uh, Jake Arrieta versus Kyle Hart. Uh, Arrieta has been kind of hot and cold, has a ERA just over four. Um, and then, of course, Hart got demolished in uh, his Tampa start. And uh, <laughs> I kind of like the Phillies in this one. Especially if, if Godley doesn't get off to a good start and you're blowing through relievers too. That's not going to bode well for guys that have to come in after Hart.
1: Yeah, I, I kind of like the Phillies in game two as well. The only hope that the Red Sox can have is like, okay, you know, Arietta's been around, so J.D. Martinez should be pretty familiar with him. I'm sure that they cross paths, you know, in the National League uh, when J.D. was with the Diamondbacks. You know, maybe he has a good game. Um, My hope is that Kyle Hart gives you two, maybe three decent innings, and then your boy Ryan Weber comes in, and, (laughs) you know, they use him properly, and he kind of keeps the game together, and the bats wake up. But, yeah, it's it's going to be tough either way. Agreed.
0: It, hopefully they sneak out one. I mean, geez, this would be the third series we, we get swept, even though it's a two, you know, it's ultimately going to end up being a home-and-home home series uh, when they come to Fenway. But, yeah, so we'll, we'll see. But I haven't seen the Phillies and. I think I picked them last year to go to the world series. And not only did that not happen, that was the only division I actually picked wrong. I got five out of the six correct. And, uh, you know, and it's just a team that just has so much potential and just doesn't get there. And I don't think Gabe Kapler was really the guy that, that should have been there. You know, if it was Girardi the whole time, I, I think he's all over them and, And, you know, there's no Tom going on in the clubhouse with Fortnite and whatever. But it's a a fun team to watch, and they've certainly got some power bats in the lineup. And their rotation is always pretty good on paper. So um, it'll be fun to at least get a look at them as we, you know, get closer to October. Because I think they got a shot for sure. So yeah,
1: yeah, absolutely, especially at NL East, which I feel like is still up for grabs.
0: Yeah, there's you know the Braves, like you said, have have a lot of stuff they need to address. The Marlins should fall off, like Charlie said, and and the Mets are the Mets. So you know, yeah. a second place finish should be uh, pretty reasonable. Yep. Yeah. So, all right, guys. Good show. Uh, we went a little long, but we we had a segment that was probably going to do that anyway. So, uh, so hopefully, hopefully we're pleasantly surprised and we'll be back. What do you guys have next? Yeah. So you guys are going to be wrapping up the Baltimore series. So maybe uh, maybe we'll come out of that one with some wins. We're going to be the spoilers here for some teams eventually. So, so, I know, right? Yeah. So, all right, guys. Have a good night.
2: You too.
0: Take care. See you guys. Episode 407 in the books. Hasn't gotten any better. Uh, you know, if you're if you're a baseball fan, you're probably looking around the league for, you know, some tight division races or just interesting pitching matchups. Um, you know, the Yankees continue to look good in the AL East. Uh, you know, we probably should have talked about that, you know, because Tampa – you know, shouldn't be overlooked, you know, they could definitely eke out the division, uh, you know, down the stretch, But, but we'll be getting into this stuff in future shows, and we'll have an eye on the deadline as well to see which Red Sox players could end up on the move and on potentially playoff teams themselves. So take care, everyone.